Ladies and gentlemen, stand up and get loud for the greatest talk show in television history, everybody. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Fans Talk Pro Wrestling. We are recording tonight on Wednesday evening, September 11th, 2019, for episode number 471. My name is Nick, and with me, as usual, is Adam. How's it going, Adam? Not too bad, Nick. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastically. Uh, we've had a week to recover from All Out. Uh, that was a pretty big show, a lot of fun, I think. Yeah. Uh, but we're also going to be talking a little bit of Clash of Champions because that is coming up this coming weekend. Um, incidentally, practically in my backyard. We'll talk a little more about that later on. But uh, there was some breaking news last week while we were gone. Uh, not long after All Out took place, the AEW World Heavyweight title was stolen uh, that Sunday. Apparently, Chris Jericho went to go celebrate his victory by having dinner at the Longhorn Steakhouse. Uh, took a limo there, so you know that's how you know it's classy. Um, but somewhere along the way, the title was stolen. And then Wednesday, uh, it was turned into to police by somebody that found it on the side of the road. Uh, there's been a subsequent interview with the man responsible for finding it. Um, it's actually kind of nice. Uh, the guy wound up getting a $200 reward out of it from the limo driver, uh, presumably passed along by Chris Jericho. But, uh, we've also had some very interesting promos come out of that. Um, for instance, Chris Jericho would have you believe that he found it and recovered it all by himself. I, I will not presume to question the man. Um, I, I just want to say thank you, Chris Jericho. But, <laughs> what a roller coaster ride that week was. Just you crowned the first ever world champion for your promotion, and within a day, somebody jacks the title and it's gone for like three more days after that. <laughs> I I mean, in, in a week as as heavy with wrestling as that one was, because like you also had uh New Japan's Royal Quest show. You had Takeover Cardiff going on. Like there was some pretty big moving and shaking in the wrestling world, and Jericho managed, if only by accident, to center all attention on himself in AEW. Like it's not a great story that makes everybody in your organization look entirely competent, but any publicity is good publicity, right? Sure. And of course, uh, in celebration, we've got to have a little bit of the bubbly. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> that whole meme and t-shirt now. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's incredible. Um, yeah. I mean, I kind of feel the same way. Like it's quite the, the shocking turn of events to happen. Uh, it was kind of interesting as well. Uh, I believe when uh, police uh, found it, uh, in, in outside of kayfabe, at least, 
uh, they had posted originally on the uh, uh, on on their own Twitter page that they had found it while also you know quoting the famous quote, um, and and then took it down like within you know I think twenty or thirty minutes uh, if if I uh, if my sources are correct, and yeah. uh, I heard a lot of speculation that perhaps. Um, Perhaps they might have been asked to take it down uh, by AEW, um, and then maybe just that there was some sort of inadvertent last-minute plan to kind of turn this whole thing into a storyline, which is kind of unfortunate that uh, it, it you know wasn't able to go out that way. But I think if that is the case, and again, that's pure rumor and speculation, um, if it was the case, though, it, to me, would just further show how uh, dynamic and interesting and uh, ready to kind of come at you from all angles uh, AEW is. That normally, I think most promotions, uh, WWE especially, if, if granted, I know at this point in their uh, tenure, they have several. Uh, versions of the title and backup titles and and you know rumors abound that there's a title that only explicitly is used for camera and tv and there's all there's a title that uh each champion takes with them uh to take pictures uh while they're on the road if they if they happen to come upon fans or even if they just happen upon seeing a, a photo worthy moment for their own uh photo libraries and whatnot it's probably pretty unlikely that they would ever come into the situation of losing a belt or if they did um, it being like a devastating situation for them to do so. But if all of that was crossed off and they did come into a, a binding situation like this, it, it would not be that sort of recovery. There wouldn't be like turn it into an angle. I think the closest thing that we ever got to something of that nature was probably uh when Punk and Cena were both like one was the official WWE champion and the other was the unofficial or the interim uh, WWE champion. Um, mm. And that angle didn't really get the legs that it should have received. And I think that's because I don't necessarily want to put it into uh, any one person's um, lap as to why that was a problem in the back of the day. <laughs> but I will say that I like that AEW, if that was the case, were willing to sort of roll with the punch and kind of turn a negative into a positive. Um, I, I hope that was the case. Anyway, I hope that was the plan. And, and that might be why that tweet was taken down. Obviously, it was you know reported by many news outlets already. And the way this day and age works, it's, just, it's very hard to stop that train of momentum. But... Uh, if that was the case, I really hope so. And, and it seems likely that EW would be able to roll from that punch. Yeah, and the people that are running it, for the most part, like that's been their whole career. Like, what else are you going to do but roll with the punches? And if your belt is stolen from you, like once it's recovered, why not make a storyline out of that? Like That's basically what being the elite has been for its entirety. So, yeah, I, I definitely understand that impulse. And I really hope that was the case, like that they were going to make some wildly convoluted in outrageous storyline surrounding this. 
And I don't think it's entirely for not either because we're still getting Chris Jericho being a delusional asshole saying that he found this all by himself. So we know that's not oh, the sure. case. There's plenty of evidence that that is categorically false. But right. we're getting a little bit of that Bo Dallas uh, kind of everything that I do is right and people love me for it in, in this portrayal of Chris Jericho. And I, I kind of dig that. Like this idea that he's so far up his own ass that he's, it's not even that he's unwilling to accept like a, an alternative view of events. He may not be capable of processing it. And that may skew a little closer to like real world events. And I think some people might be comfortable with, but I, I think this is an interesting new direction for Chris Jericho to go. And I'm interested in seeing more of it. Yeah, I would agree. And I, I think uh, to your point about where they could have gone, or at least, you know, the, the wealth of, of creativity that they do still have. Um, especially considering the uh, after, like the post-show um, afterward promo, um, I guess, or backstage interview, whatever you want to call it, that uh, Jericho did. Like, I mean, it, it, it does kind of make you salivate at the prospect of like how many people could, I mean, he talked shit to literally everyone in that backstage area before he got to his little platter and, and his little bubbly. Um, so th there was a million suspects that could have taken it if they wanted to take it into an angle, which is amazing. And again, would just further, I think, cement uh, the, the legacy that they're forming that creativity is key. I mean, they would have blown any sort of uh, mystery angle that, that WWE has done in the past or is presently doing, like with uh, Roman and, and Rowan, I think, out of the water, you know? So... More, more power to AEW. Sorry that this uh, unfortunate uh, incident happened, uh, that, that people are, are shitty in camp, but even a day passed before something shitty happens. But at, at least, as we already mentioned, something positive came from it, and potentially more positive could have come from it if it wasn't for the fact that law enforcement ruined it. <laughs> As they do so many other things. <laughs> uh, but yeah, all of that was news that came after All Out. Let's go ahead and talk the show itself. Sure. So we had two pre-show matches on the buy-in. And then we had, uh, let me recount, eight matches on the main card. And I don't think there was a bum in the lot, really. The worst I could say about any of these matches, I think, was that the Battle Royale, I, I think it's still something they haven't quite worked all the kinks out of. Uh, a lot of the moments felt kind of rushed, like, on towards the end. And when Nyla Rose was faced with three other women that were at least as big as her, if not bigger, that being Awesome Kong, Jazz, and ODB. ODB of all people. I legitimately thought she was retired. And you had this moment where these four women were dominating the ring and squared up with one another. And 
within 10 or 15 seconds, you had the Joker come out and ODB and Jazz get thrown over the top rope as the music was playing. Before we even really knew it was Mercedes Mar Martinez that was coming out, half of those monsters were already gone. Like, that that's shitty, I think. Yeah. I really wish we had gotten to focus more on Nyla Rose being challenged in a way that she she really hasn't been. Like, there was that brief square up with Awesome Kong back in that Fatal 4-Way match with um, Britt Baker and... Um, it, I, the name is escaping me right now. But back during that match, like, there was that moment where we had Awesome Kong and Nyla Rose face-to-face. And you thought, oh shit, here we go, Hoss fight. But we didn't really get that because of the nature of the match. But here, granted, it's a battle royal, so like, there's all kinds of things happening. But at that moment, you had those four women squared up with one another, and there was nobody else around to interfere with it. You could have had easily a few minutes where they're just clubbing the shit out of each other and doing all kinds of dope shit. But they rushed it. And there were there was just a lot of moments like that in this match where I don't think it I don't think it all contributed to make it a bad match, but I just see all of the ways it could have been better. And that's a benefit of hindsight, but it's still a shame that the way Nyla Rose won was that somebody already eliminated basically pulled the last person out that that sucks to me but i'm i'm glad that nyla rose won this match would i prefer to see somebody else win yeah definitely i think there are a couple of other people that probably should be fighting for that inaugural women's championship but with rio being the other person in that match i think this makes a lot of sense I think it tells the kind of story that really serves Rio best in that she is an underdog. She has been treated like that since coming to AEW. And that's been a lot of her booking back in Japan as well. And Nyla Rose, with the exception of Awesome Kong, is the biggest threat on this roster. So to have these two go head-to-head -head for that title, I think it'll be really neat when Rio overcomes the odds, beats the much bigger, much stronger opponent, and becomes that inaugural women's champion. Of course, that's all supposition, but on the whole, with that Battle Royale being perhaps the weakest match of the card, it was still a lot of fun to watch. And all the other matches that we saw after that, I think, only got better. So... Yeah, I think All Out was definitely a success by any measure. And, man, I'm I'm just really excited to break down these matches. But, uh, Adam, of any of these matches, which one stood out to you the most? And, and why? Like, was it the best match in your opinion? Or was it maybe the most narratively engaging? Or, like, which of these matches stood out to you the most? Are we talking the entire card or just the pre-show? I, I think the entire card. Okay. You know, I, I really had a lot of fun with uh, with Cody versus Sean Spears. 
uh, again, it kind of showcased a different uh, style, I guess. Well, a a different it it was a different showcase for Cody's style, I guess, if that makes any sense. I don't feel like he wrestled any differently or has wrestled any different throughout uh, all the matches that he's held in AEW. But this did feel like a different take on uh, what Cody brings to the table. And no knock on Sean Spears either. I thought he played a great villain, something that, I mean, honestly, I know that uh, I know that Sean had spent many, many years in WWE's developmental, but when I finally saw him uh, was with the perfect 10 gimmick. And I know that when he first actually came, like the first, I think, big match that I remember uh, seeing him in was a match against Apollo Crews at, I think, TakeOver Brooklyn 2. It was Apollo Crews' first uh, NXT match, if I recall, or at least his first televised match. Um. And he was playing the heel because obviously it's Paul Cruz and he's kind of a perennial baby face. Um, but it, it was more of that like cocky sort of uh, CM Punky, like, you know, I'm better than you sort of heel, which obviously makes sense for the perfect 10. Of course, people love the gimmick so much that he didn't stay heel for very long. Um, and after that, I found it hard in myself to think, how are people going to boo this guy? Um, I, I didn't think he was even going to be uh, a heel when he debuted in AEW. And arguably, although he probably uh, employed more heelish tactics than maybe was necessary uh, in the uh, the first ever uh, Casino Battle Royale, um, I don't think I felt like he was going to be a heel yet. Not until he swung that chair. Even then, when he did that, you know, I had so many questions and I was intrigued to see where the story was going. I wasn't confused by any stretch, but I had so many questions and I just wasn't exactly sure how they were going to pull this off. Cause it seems like the crowd just has been in love with Sean Spears or Ty Dillinger at the time uh, for several years now. Um, seeing how he, brought himself to the ring, you know, he had the contacts in his eyes and, and just giving off that like cold, icy, uncaring demeanor. Uh, having Tully Blanchard in his corner was a, a great plus and having, you know, Tully have no problem uh, getting involved and whatnot was really great. Um, I question MJF's, uh, well, at least I should say Cody's choice in MJF because I feel like he did more to hinder than help. I actually <laughs> thought that to cement MJF's heel persona on camera, because I, I assume um, I, I don't really watch being the elite regularly, so I don't know if this was addressed there, but um, I assume that MJF has some sort of training connection with uh, Cody and to cement the on-screen persona uh, against the off-screen that MJF was going to do, maybe not cost, Cody the match, but do something in this match to solidify his heeldom and break that kind of whatever loose tie he might have had with Cody. Uh, that never happened. That was kind of strange, too. Um, but we still got some pretty great uh, action for both men. I loved uh, Sean whipping uh, 
Cody with the belt, especially that last time and Cody doing that insane, like, I, I guess it's because he was on his stomach. So I don't know if you could totally call it a kip up, but just like basically going from his stomach to his feet in like a second was a great visual. And, you know, the crowd totally bought into it, as did I. Um, we got as as the match broke down and, and competitors were all over the place. We got a run in interference from double A Arn Anderson, which was fucking amazing. And he delivered a double A spine buster which was just the best, um, just uh, continues to show. Uh, I love that. I, I don't necessarily want AEW to become, so to speak, the island of misfit toys for WWE. I feel like that was a lot of uh, TNA's problem for a very long time. Uh, I don't think this is necessarily indicative of that. In fact, I would say it's quite the opposite. I think AEW, it doesn't have to be the land of misfit toys, but I think they are willing to pick up the pieces that WWE discards that they are absolutely sure have no life left in them or no gas left in the tank. Say what you will about JR's commentary, and I will say for this show in particular, as opposed to some of his other AEW shows, there were some moments where I thought that AEW, or I'm sorry, that uh, JR was kind of a little off in his calls, but... There was also some really, really great uh, stuff that he's done over the course of his AEW tenure. I think no difference uh, showing Arn Anderson. That's all he needed to do was his big move. Arguably, it's not a tremendously difficult move for even a man of his age and tenure to pull off. And he did it well. And it, it, it popped the crowd. We got this big you know, a uh, confused look from Tully Blanchard, which was fucking worth a million bucks. I, I hope they don't actually book a singles match between them. I hope it stays oh, the managers. But, you know, I, I think that's just my WWE conditioning coming into play. Like, we got all those matches with Chavo Classic for such a long time and everything else. And we don't need to fucking... That, that's the idea. It, it's very ECW. Do not glorify the negatives try and hide the negatives and accentuate the positives. And having both of these guys in somebody's corner, I, I have a feeling Cody is moving on from Sean Spears at this point. That seems to be how, when the match was over, how it felt. But I could be wrong. Maybe Cody decides to put Arn in his corner. Um, either way, I had a lot of fun with this match. I love the, uh, the, the Star Trek uniforms, even though I know many people have said that really didn't make any sense with the context of the story. No. I, I don't really care. <laughs> I, I don't really care. I think probably Cody felt the same way. Like, listen, I own a wrestling company. Sometimes, even in little facets like this, I'm just going to do what I want. Um, and I thought that was really cool to to see um, everyone kind of dressed up that way. Uh, I think the only negative I would say is uh, I wasn't a fan of the fact that they brought uh, Pharaoh out to ringside. I don't think that was necessary. I know yeah. the pyros went off, and that probably scared him too, but... I feel like even if the Pirates didn't go off, it still wouldn't have been a good time for him. I just, just about any dog I've ever seen put in front of a, uh, a wrestling audience. I mean, it's just way too much overstimulation, way too much noise. And I, I think they've learned about it. I do like that, that Cody kind of broke kayfabe for a minute to, to calm him down, at least for a second. But it just it didn't execute well. It didn't make the entrance. like Most people were more concerned for the dog than being buying into the entrance as it should have been 
um, and myself and and uh, my, my partner Amy as well were feeling that same way. Um, so that was probably the only negative aspect of the match as a whole. Otherwise, I thought it was outstanding and probably my my match of the night. Yeah, I enjoyed a lot about this match. Uh, I'm completely with you about bringing Pharaoh to the ring. Um, I I think Pharaoh is better acclimated to crowds than most dogs because it seems like his public appearances go pretty well. But yeah, bringing an animal out into the ring like that, it, it's always a crapshoot, and usually it's not even worth it. You could argue that there's a little bit of a different case for like what Adam Page did, like riding a horse to the ring, because they had all kinds of all kinds of handlers there. And I would hazard a guess that the horse had been sedated so as to prevent it freaking out. But yeah, setting Pyro off near an animal is, is just asking for trouble. It's just gonna scare the animal. It's not worth it. Yeah. But as far as the match itself goes, I I do agree that it's it showcased a different side of Cody that we haven't seen yet in AEW. And that's mainly him getting his ass kicked. Because in his match with Dustin, there was some back and forth, but a lot of it had to do with Cody putting paid to the line about putting that old dog down. And like a lot of it was him beating the shit out of Dustin, busting him open. In the match with Darby, Cody controlled the majority of the match, and it was mostly a technical wrestling match. Far too much of one for my taste, because Darby's not a technical wrestler, but that's what it was. Here, Sean Spears dominated most of the match, and a lot of it had to do with Tully Blanchard being an effective manager and MJF absolutely not being one. And I loved that dynamic. In spite of MJF hindering him, one could argue that it may have been intentional. Maybe not. Maybe MJF is just a young hothead that lets people get under his skin. But even with all of that, Cody still came back and mostly won that match on his own. Whether Arn Anderson needed to come out and hit Sean Spears with that spine buster... I don't know if it was truly necessary, but as laughable as the reaction from Tully was enough so that he just followed Arn out apropos of nothing, <laughs> it, it was effective. Like it did neutralize the manager and it softened and it, it softened Spears up enough that Cody was able to seal the deal and win the match. And to your point about uh, WWE also runs. I think that what Cody's been doing is paying a lot of homage to the NWA and how a lot of Dusty's matches went. Because like it's basically what he's been doing since All In. Because big NWA title matches were just full of gimmicky shit like this, for better or worse. And like that's how it went against Nick Aldis when he won the NWA title. That's how this match went. That's kind of how his match with Dustin went. And I don't think it's something that he can sustain forever. Like this match that he's ha that he's having with, with Jericho for the title at full gear. 
I don't think that's what this ma- this match is going to be at all. Like, I don't think it's going to be quite that gimmicky. I think we're going to get something that we're more accustomed to seeing from WWE wrestlers. But to see Sean Spears this dominant, to see him really be that overbearing, overweening, cerebral heel, I think was a really cool dynamic. I think I would love to see Tully Blanchard manage Sean Spears further, but maybe that's not necessarily the ca- going to be the case moving forward. Now with MJF, mind you, I don't watch being the elite, so I'm not privy to anything there, but I do follow him on Twitter. So I know that since he's come into the company, he's been kissing Cody's ass left, right, and center. And if I had to guess, it's purely a ladder climbing move. Like this is how he makes his way up the ranks and gets himself into a position of power. And this is what I love so much about MJF. Just how much of a dick he really is, is that you sometimes can't tell whether he's doing something and being hot headed and stupid about it. Or if he's really thought things through so well that he's able to convince you that no, he really is a moron. He's definitely ha- he definitely hasn't planned all this out. He definitely doesn't have an end goal in mind here. And I love the little tease there at the end. After the match is over, and the chair is still laying in the ring, MJF takes the chair, and Cody has his back to him as he's getting up. And there's a moment where you could interpret his position as weighing that option. Do I hit this man with a chair? Do I pull the trigger now? But then Cody turns around and MJF just tosses a chair away and hugs him. And I I just love the, the guy is just some kind of genius when it comes to portraying his character. That's really all there is to it. He could be dog shit in the ring. And and still, I think he would be one of the most engaging people to watch in this company. So if if for no other reason, I think this match is must watch, if only for the interplay between MJF, Tully Blanchard, and what's going on in the ring. How Tully plays it so cool and collected, and everything he does pays off. Whereas everything MJF does hurts Cody. And just watching that story being told. I think that's worth the price of admission alone. But to get a really good match on top of that, where we've been told what the stakes are, we've been told about the relationship between these two men, how Sean Spears feels slighted by Cody, and how he's going to prove he's not just a good hand in the ring. He is the best worker they've got, and he's going to be champion one day. Those dynamics all at play make this easily one of the best matches on this card. For my money, I think the most fun I had during this show might have been during uh, Jurassic Express versus SCU. And I do have a bit of an issue with the way the match ended, or specifically what happened after the match, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. These three guys, Luchasaurus, Marco Stunt, and Jungle Boy, 
I think they all have incredibly bright futures ahead of them in any capacity, no matter where they go, whether they team up as Marco Stunt and Jungle Boy, whether they're all singles competitors, whether they stick together as a trio, or whether either of them teams up with Luchasaurus. But teaming up as a trio, I think it's it's just they're presenting a very wholesome dynamic that makes me think these guys could be the faces of this company. Like, the elite be damned. I think AEW could push these guys to the moon and make millions with them. And then on the other side of the ring, you have SCU. And just how curmudgeonly and vindictive as they were in the ring. Put aside the the gimmicky, fun-loving shtick they put on before the match started with the call and response with the crowd, like, these guys are old, they're pissed off, and they're not having any of this nonsense from these whippersnappers and this guy in the dinosaur mask. No. I think the match that they put on was just a lot of fun. And it's amazing how absolutely bananas this crowd goes whenever Luchasaurus tags in. Because the guy is genuinely impressive. I, I can't say it often enough. Every time this guy has a match for this show, he does things like big guys simply should not be able to do. But Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt, I think, are incredible athletes in their own right. And I do hope we get to see them showcase that more. But even just what we saw here, I think, probably opened up a lot of people's eyes. Now. After the match, or the way the match ended, which was Marco Stunt and uh, Jungle Boy getting brought up for a Meltzer driver. And I remember it was Kaz that was holding them. I think it was Christopher Daniels that jumped off the top row, but I could be wrong. It's been a little while. But <laughs> they just murdered two children with a pile driver. And then immediately after that, you have Christopher Daniels checking on them and, and shaking hands left, right, and center. And they all end up doing that. And I don't really know how to feel about that, to be honest. Because I feel like when you do that to two guys that are just so eminently babyface, like you you should pile on to that. Like you should stack on top of that. You should like beat the shit out of them after the match is over and really solidify yourselves as bastards. But then you also have the aspect that AEW is trying to take on a more sports-like atmosphere where you've got win-loss records and like you have these post-media scrums where like they're giving interviews just like actual athletes in, in actual sports do. So after the game, what do people usually do? They mingle, shake hands, congratulate each other on the performance and wish each other luck next time. And so from that perspective, this makes sense, but I've been so heavily conditioned as a pro wrestling fan to expect that the act stays up even after the bell has rung. So 
for two guys that just destroyed a couple of children to turn around and raise their hands after the match, it, it's a weird look. And again, I, I, I just don't know how to feel about it. But what about you, Adam? Like this match, did you get kind of similar vibes or like, was it just kind of fun? Uh, fun is definitely a word I would use to describe uh, that match. I, I had a lot of fun with it. I have loved, uh, in particular, uh, Luchasaurus since uh, AEW's inception. And I've said many a time that I feel like he could easily be an AEW world title contender if AEW chose to go that way. I think they probably will. I think they're going to keep that ace in their pocket for a little while. But it, again, kind of leads credence to what we were talking about in the news segment. AEW seems to really want to... It, it's not just about like trying to do the counterculture thing like ECW did, or arguably uh, TNA did in its early years. It, it's also trying to legitimately give the fans what they want. None of this people power bullshit that we've heard over the years in WWE or anything like that where... There's a, a false sense of, of equivalence to the fans, but what we really want is what we're told that we should want. This is legit like, all right, we see that a guy's over and we want to capitalize on that, if nothing else. And, and we want, I mean, AEW arguably has taken a lot of risks with a lot of the shows that they put on, counting even, you know, their, even though it wasn't, officially one of their shows i would count all in in that as well mm -hmm. and and to do all that you have to pay a lot of credence to the people that are willing to give you that chance and so i think since the people are already behind luchasaurus and the people are and AEW wants to be a successful company that you know rewards its fans for their loyalty and i mean luchasaurus is a great talent and and work rate and i think they want to promote that idea that i think a lot of a lot of promotions i wouldn't just waggle this at WWE, but a lot of promotions across the board uh really i think they want to champion that idea and really actually put it into practice of the fact that literally anyone on the roster has a shot at being world champion and i i get that sense from this roster. I don't feel like there's a bad person in the bunch um, that, that would put on a, a absolutely terrible match. If we got Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho at, uh, at uh, what's the uh, fast gear, I think is the next one. Gear Full out. Gear. Full gear. Thank you. Um, it's kind of a generic pay-per-view name. Sorry, guys. I, I wish that there was a better name for that, but hey, whatever. Um, um. At that pay-per-view, if we had Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho, like I would buy into that match. You know, I know that Cassidy has a lot of uh, controversy about his gimmick right now and all that stuff and that AEW has accrued over the um, course of uh, over the course of these last couple months and all the talent that they're willing to showcase uh, on camera. I haven't seen a talent. Uh, on camera yet that I would not I would be mad if they challenged for the world title and I think AEW is the type of company that 
if the story was right and if the timing was right and if the crowd was behind it and if the guy was you know strong enough in the ring they would do it you know they would push for that element so uh that's uh, i mean that's kind of my my uh big love for for luchasaurus showing i think uh we will see luchasaurus wrestle for the uh AEW world title sooner than later um outside of that uh i thought the match itself was really well done i think luchasaurus is uh teaming with jungle boy is really good i think marco stunt it definitely adheres himself to their style and uh and is is able to mesh well, and I do think as a trio they work really well. I'd love to see that match as well, uh, the Elite versus uh, uh, Jurassic Express or a boy and his or two boys and their dinosaur. I guess um, I, I would love to see all of that. I think these guys, like you say, do have enough legs for that. Um, if we don't see Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus, uh, if we don't see them competing in the tag team tournament, I'm, I'm going to be very sad. But otherwise, yeah, I, I felt like this match was a lot of fun. Yeah, for sure. Uh, speaking of the tag team tournament, we did get uh, the the winners. Well, we did determine who would get that first round by in the tournament, and that is the Dark Order. Uh, they triumphed over the best friends. And... It's certainly my preference to win because I think you could just do so much more with the Dark Order than the best friends in that respect. Um, we did get a uh, an attempted kidnapping of Trent, but uh, it was foiled. The lights went out, and it's unclear how exactly this foresawed the abduction, but when the lights came on, Orange Cassidy was standing there in the ring. His first televised appearance since he was officially signed by AEW. And it looks like the best friends are, uh, if not officially, then in every other respect, a trio. My preference certainly would have been that the Dark Order abducted Trent and Chuck Taylor would have been alone until Orange Cassidy showed up to fill the void. But, you know, you can't always get what you want. Uh, I am certainly satisfied with Orange Cassidy being present, however. Now, it's been long enough that I don't remember a lot of the beats from this match, but it is definitely... I definitely like how they portray the Dark Order. Just... Evil Uno is such a thinker, and... He, he's built like a bruiser and he could do, do so much to manhandle people and throw them around the ring. And he does a little bit of that. Like every now and again, you'll see him do a senton from the top rope or, or something of that nature. But so much of it is about redirection and using Stu Grayson as effectively as he can to really spend as little effort as possible to get the job done. And I, th I think that's a very effective way of just showing everybody how much of a bastard you can be. 
And there are those moments where it slides over into the comical when this must this mustache twirler of a villain fucks up and his his plans backfire and he gets hoisted by his own petard like uh the match at the last show where you had luchasaurus and jungle boy in competition and there was that one spot where evil luno backed up just completely satisfied with what he had done and luchasaurus loomed over him in the background and Uno backs up into him and even through the mask you can see oh shit he's behind me isn't he just I love the way this guy emotes and carries himself and Stu Grayson like I just love the tagline bread for combat for this guy because he screams it and like the little sash around his waist, like there are so many ways I could come off goofy as fuck. Like Archibald Peck, like he had that going on and I never thought tough guy when I looked at him, but when I look at Stu Grayson, like the paint on his face and just the manic expression that he wears at all times, that sash just adds to that, that compliments it. I think it gives him that little bit of, an exotic look like you would expect from somebody that hasn't had regular real human contact and has only known war. Like I just love everything about this team and the creepers. I don't know if they could do more to incorporate them into the matches or if what they're doing is, is just enough, but I just love that little touch. Just the way they factor into the entrance how they give you Luno somebody to throw around and it doesn't really like affect the dynamic of the team. Like if he started doing that to Stu Grayson, I would, I would begin to question just how much of a badass Stu Grayson is, but he's doing this to this random nobody and they're just cowering and shrinking from him and doing as he commands. And that just makes evil Luno look that much more intimidating, that much more dominant. Everything about this team, it, it just clicks in such a great fashion that, honestly, the first round buy should have been theirs from the word go, from the moment they appeared, from the moment this tournament was conceived. It should be theirs. But the best friends are a, are a competent team in their own right, and for whatever reason, the Dark Order singled them out. So... I definitely like the story that's been told with these two teams. I really hope that it ends somewhere fitting. And I don't necessarily know that that fitting end would be the best friends getting one over on the Dark Order in the tournament or or what. But I've been a fan of how they've used these two teams thus far. And I just want to see more good things for the Dark Order. Yeah, I agree. I think this was a really fun match. I love the critters as well. I love the little throne that they make and the entrance uh, package that they have. And, and Evil Uno, I think, does very well for himself. Um, Stu Hansen, I think, has a great, great character. I love his 
like weird metal Vega mask that he has and just it's cool. It's it's really cool. I mean the best friends are, are a great team as well, but what they've been able to cultivate uh with the Dark Order is just been really cool. And I don't really know if there's much else to say there. Um I got plenty of stuff I could say about Orange Cassidy. Uh sure, yeah. But uh I, I really like the gimmick. I think it's uh it's outstanding that a guy is able to do something like that and you know look like it's effortless. Um and I think there is sort of a an upper limit or not an upper limit, but there is a sort of upper echelon to it. It could be like uh Piccolo's training clothes or something like that, where you know, maybe one day something does snap him out of his doldrums and then we get to see him wrestle at full board and oh boy, can we not wait till that happens? Um, I, I actually like the trio. Um, Trent being carried off, it wouldn't have not made sense. And I, I would have gotten behind that story too. But I think the three of them together, they, they make a pretty good trio. If there is some sort of trios tournament as well uh, at some point in the future, uh, I'd love to see these guys involved. I'd love to see, um, you know, Stu and, and Evil Uno involved, and maybe they pull another partner in or, or just elevate a critter or something. I don't know. But uh, it seems like there are legs for that. What with Jurassic Express, you obviously still have the elites um, to lean on and, and many other uh, random trios that could be formed just for the sake of entering this tournament. I mean, if King of Trios is any indication, I think a tournament like that would be my and uh, it seems like they have some sort of links. Yeah, for sure. Uh, now, I, I've been kind of looking back over the chat a little bit and seeing what stood out to folks. And I've seen the ladder match get some, uh, get some praise. Now, I'm not going to talk so much about that match in its entirety so much as I am going to include it uh, in a comparison with the Cracker Barrel Clash. Because I think those matches share some similarities, but are also uh, different in some key ways, at least from where I'm sitting. So, on the one hand, in the uh, in the Escalera de la Muerte, the, uh, the Stairway to Death, for the AAA World Tag Team titles, you had the Lucha Brothers defending against the Young Bucks. In the Cracker Barrel Clash, you had Darby Allen, Joey Janela, and Jimmy Havoc doing their damnedest to kill each other with whatever they could have on hand. And I think at first blush, like heading into this show, one could easily assume that Lucha Brothers versus Young Bucks would be the better match. It would be the more well-constructed match like these guys are veterans they have been working together for a long time relatively speaking and we've seen matches between them before so we kind of know what to expect whereas with darby allen joey janelle and jimmy havoc if your only exposure to these guys is AEW, all you know is that these are three very erratic individuals that love hurting people including themselves but in my opinion, 
I think the Cracker Barrel Clash was the better match of the two. And I know there's a little bit of a bias at play, uh, on my part anyway, in that I've, I've gotten tired of seeing the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks fight because from where I sit, it's basically the same match over and over. And I, I think, I think that's been a hallmark of Young Buck matches to an extent in recent years. And by no means am I accusing them of being spot monkeys that know how to do nothing but flip. Obviously, that's not the case, but they end up having a lot of very similar matches in how they're constructed. Um, a lot of the times, it's a spot fest. I, th I think that's what the majority of the Escalera de la Muerte was. Was just how many different ways can we kill ourselves on these ladders? And I don't think I'd have minded as much if it hadn't all been so horribly lucha. Where it's obvious that these are just spots. It, it's It's a lot of it's a lot of one-upsmanship that seems to exist just for its own sake. Like, uh, I'm thinking of a spot where I think it was Phoenix and Nick Jackson each had the other's partner on top of a ladder or they were on top of the ladder and their partners were, were laid out below them on tables. And they're just looking at each other. Like, they're daring each other to jump. And on commentary, we have Excalibur and Golden Boy screaming, Those are your brothers! Like, don't do this! You're, you're ensuring that your partner's gonna get hurt! And, like, that's the sensible thing. But they jump anyway and put their brothers through the tables. And there's just so much of that going on in this match where... You have to wonder, do they care about their brother? Like, why would they do this when they know it's going to get their brother hurt? To a certain extent, I can turn that part of my brain off. That part that tries to reason through things. Because it's wrestling. A lot of this stuff is just stupid stuff done for shock value. But there is so much of that stuff that I, I found myself just kind of growing numb to it. Whereas with the Cracker Barrel Clash, there were a couple of spots that I took issue with. But the one that I took the most issue with was uh, Darby Allen doing the coffin drop onto the barrel. And it wasn't so much the spot itself that I took issue with, but the fact that I so desperately wanted Darby Allen to take one of those barrels, put it over his head, and then do the coffin drop. And it just didn't happen. So I got unreasonably mad about that. But all of those spots, as ridiculous and self-harming as they were, it, it didn't take me out of the match. I knew going into this that these three people are insane. That they'll do whatever the, it takes to prove they're the craziest and make sure that they win. So... 
when Jimmy Havoc opened up the match by rolling outside, getting the staple gun, rolling back inside, and then starts stapling himself in the chest just to prove he's a better motherfucker than the other two guys, like, great. Go for it. When they knocked him out and duct taped him to a chair and then put tacks in his mouth, like, that is genuinely horrifying. Like, what if Jimmy Havoc just lost focus for a second and breathed one of those things. That would be horrifying. But it didn't take me out of the match. They kind of just left him there for a little bit, and then Darby Allen was doing something else, and then he looks at Jimmy Havoc, and Jimmy's awake, and Jimmy gives him the finger and basically motions, like, come on, jump on me. I dare you. So he jumped on him. <laughs> like, it's just a lot of spots like that. But like these guys have been casting the characters in a way that I think makes all of that make sense. Again, these are dangerous individuals, perhaps mostly to themselves. So it makes sense for them to be doing all this stuff. Like that's what they would do. And I, I think for that reason, Primarily, I think I enjoyed the Cracker Barrel Clash more than I did the Escalera de la Muerte. Now, I understand I may be in the minority in that feeling. Because I have seen a lot of praise for, for the Lucha Brothers and the Young Bucks. And I don't think it's undeserved entirely. But I, I think my most, my, my strongest feeling on this match is that I'm glad that this is probably where this feud is going to take a pause and they're going to go do something else with other teams. I'm sure you feel differently, Adam. So like, what, what was your thoughts on, on these two matches? Like, do you feel like one of these matches did, did more justice to their spots than, than the other, or do you think like they each made a lot of sense in their own way. Like what was your thought? I actually uh, agree with most of your assessment. Um, I, I think the key difference to describe that might, might make it more concise. The, the three participating in the Cracker Barrel cr clash, they bought in to their own characters, which then allowed the crowd to buy into them. Like every, each individual seemed like they wanted to cause the most amount of pain to the other two. Whereas I do think um, by comparison in the uh, Escalera de, de la Muerte match that, like you said, a lot of it felt fake, I guess, for lack of a better term. I know Many of us fans don't like to hear that word bandied about uh, when it comes to our beloved wrestling, but it it felt manufactured. And like when w moving from one spot to another took a lot because of them again trying to outdo themselves. And I feel about I felt this way about a lot of the uh, elite matches, or I'm sorry, the Young Bucks matches that we've seen. Uh, in AW thus, thus far, and arguably some that I've seen in New Japan, 
they get so wrapped up in the spot that they kind of forget to tell stories. Whereas Alan and Havoc and Janella, they were trying to tell a story. Which of the three of us is the worst of the worst, the baddest of the bad, you know, the, the most heinous, uh, wrestler in, uh, AEW. And yeah, like those staple gun spots were kind of hard to watch, even for someone who has seen staple gun spots before and seeing, uh, Jimmy Havoc, uh, basically chew, uh, a, a handful of staples and then have that, uh, mouthful duct taped into his mouth or, or, or his mouth duct taped where he couldn't spit them out um, and come out of it like chewing them like, oh, that was nothing. That was no big deal. That, that's buying in. Again, it's that, that kind of hardcore uh, machismo coming out. Like who is the hardest, coriest of us? Um, the, the skateboard with the, uh, the thumbtacks on it. Like those kind of things stick with you. That, I, I mean, I remember quite a bit of the spots. The freaking Cracker, cracker Barrel assisted coffin drop was fucking insane and i didn't think that darby allen could make his coffin drop look any worse than it did when he wrestled against cody and yet i stood corrected as i saw him laying in a heap of uh splintered wood on top of a uh set of steel chair or steel steps it looked brutal and to my memory outside of the spot that you described uh, Nick with, with the brothers trying to harm each other. I remember one spot clearly that I was kind of impressed by uh, in in the uh, ladder match. And that was uh, uh, Milmore, or not, not Milmore, <laughs> uh, that was uh, Pentagon doing uh, the sling blade from one side of the ladder to the other. Like that looked impressive. Mm. And I could kind of buy in thinking back that that was probably planned in, in all reality, but came off in the match like it was just Pentagon trying to get one over on his team and, and give them some sort of, uh, some sort of edge, uh, no pun intended. I guess that spot and the only other spot which... I don't know because the young bucks have been so weird in their AEW run as far as like morality goes. I don't know how I feel about it. The other thing I remember most about the uh, about the ladder match was was uh, I believe it was Matt Jackson pulling uh, the mask off of uh, Pentagon's face and and trying to get an advantage that way. Um, and while I don't necessarily have a problem with heel type wrestlers doing that uh, because I know, you know, as many know in wrestling lore that, you know, taking a luchador's mask off uh, without any sort of um, stipulation or pomp and circumstances tat him out to trying to rip the skin off of his face. Basically um, it's, it's very taboo and should not be done. Uh, only the most heinous of men ever do it. Um, so I don't have a problem with that, but just partly for the inconsistency of what 
the young but like the young bucks were extremely facey at Firefest. Um, and then they kind of like did have done the cocky heel thing in their other two matches. And then that move was just so blatantly heelish, especially played up for, you know, the, the cockiness that the Young Bucks were playing up uh, going into the, the match and, you know, saying Cerro Huevos and all that stuff. It just didn't really gel in that sense. And it happened so quickly that if it wasn't for commentary, I'm not, and, and obviously, you know, my mind catching up to itself in the seconds pre- uh, preceding it and watching, you know, Pentagon rolling around trying to cover his face and clearly seeing all his hair. Uh, in the second that it happened, though, I had no idea what happened. And if it wasn't for commentary going, oh my God, his mask, like, I think it would have taken me a lot longer for it to process. Um, there was no working of the shoelace uh, tie. There was no anything like that. It was just grab and pull. And it also kind of makes me question, like, well, okay, Pentagon, you are pretty pretty uh, protective of your mask. And it, it's very, like, it's a very evocative mask. It's not, you know, your typical lucha mask. And it's meant to, as as your, you know, it's meant to be the antithesis to your own mantra of Cerro Medo. Uh, it's meant to strike fear in your opponents, right? Why then would it, it be the loosest that it's possibly ever been unless you've just been the luckiest luchador to ever compete? Why would in this match, when you're going to be doing all kinds of craziness and climbing ladders and seemingly being put in a situation where it would be a risk to leave it a greater risk than normal to leave it loose like that. Would it be so loose? So loose, in fact, that one quick jerk is all anyone needs to take it off of your head. Uh, just the whole spot, and, and I think very indicative to Nick's uh, points that he's already made, it, it felt like a moment for the sake of having a moment rather than building a match and telling a story and getting the crowds to buy into what's happening. Instead of doing that, you just said, let's see, you know, it's, it's kind of the argument, even though I still feel that argument is kind of invalid. It's the argument that, um, that, others, uh, that, that others have had over the Will Ospreay ricochet match from a couple of years ago. Um, th- there's a lot of sizzle, not a lot of steak. Yeah, and it's all the more frustrating because I know that the Bucks can tell a story. I, I, I've seen it. Like, wrestling Rapungi 3K, to cite a more recent example. And I'm reminded of matches that also made me question then, do you not give a shit about your brother's well-being? Because they would do spots. Like, Nick Jackson and um, uh, Show would just trade kicks to their partner's backs, like one after the other, and and just staring each other in the eyes, they're doing it. And at that point, both Matt and Yo had taken some pretty significant damage to their backs. So each guy knows their partner's hurt, and yet they're still encouraging the punishment of their partner. But even then, like there was a story being told where... Matt Jackson was working with a subpar back, like less than whole. And, you know, he's selling it throughout the match. 
Like there are certain things he can't do, like the uh, the locomotion deal that he does with the suplex in the same spot over and over again. Like he couldn't do that because his back was fucked. So I know the Bucks are capable of this, but again, it's that lucha bullshit at play where the story doesn't matter. The story isn't told in the ring. The story is told over the course of the feud, ideally. And that's how you get things like a, a Lucha de Apuestas match between Psycho Clown and Dr. Wagner Jr., where their masks are on the line. Or you get something like um, El Hilda Fantasma when he lost his mask. You had his kid in the ring with him, as well as his father. And before the mask is, is taken off, like you have Fantasma's kid look over at LA Park and draw his finger across his throat, just fury in his eyes. Like that's hatred, man. So like, it's not that Lucha doesn't tell stories. It's not that the art form is incapable of telling stories, but the matches themselves is just spot after spot after spot after spot, whether it's flippy nonsense or it's like jacking up the mask or it's busting somebody open. Like the psychology is just a whole different beast when it comes to Lucha. And you know, when you have the Lucha brothers facing off against the Young Bucks, you're not going to get a story like you get with Cody versus Sean Spears. You're just going to get a spot fest, for lack of a better term. And I don't even know that there's been all that great a story being told between these two teams over the course of their matches. And that's what sucks to me the most about it is that it's just a lot of flash and not a lot of substance. And that's been a criticism to one degree or another with the elite matches in AEW thus far, I think. Because Kenny versus Seema, like, I can't tell you a whole lot about that match now, except for all the Meteora spam that Seema did. And even with the match against the match against Pac, like I remember the spot where Kenny Omega planted planted Pac on his head, and Pac just flipped up right out of it, like nothing had happened. And that spot ruled for sure. But other than that, I can't really tell you anything about what happened before then, up until Pac just finished him with the brutalizer out of nowhere. And even then, I say out of nowhere, but it still felt like the match went five minutes too long. I remember enjoying the match. That's the that's the dandest thing. Like I remember enjoying that match, but I, I can't tell you that much about it because there's just so much stuff in these matches. And for what? I don't know. Like to fill time? Like you don't really need to do that. Like people have been clamoring for years about shorter pay-per-views. I don't know why you wouldn't listen to that because it's, it's kind of clear now that you still haven't figured out how to properly time your pay-per-views. Like just look back at all in. They couldn't even finish the outro before getting cut off. Yeah. I, the pacing is a big problem with AEW. I don't think it's enough to detract from the enjoyment of the show as it's happening 
because I still remember having a lot of fun with All Out, but yeah, I just think about how much better the show could be, how much better some of the matches could be if they figured this timing stuff out and honestly, maybe took a little more Lucha out of the show. Like, guess, guess that Lucha mentality. Not necessarily a talent, mind you. Just, that's why I don't watch AAA is because of all of all the hacky bullshit that goes on. Also, the shows are a mess pr- from a production standpoint, but it's just a lot of, it's just a lot of sound and fury and not enough meat to it, in my opinion. Yeah, that tangent aside, speaking of sound and fury, honestly, that's probably like the matches that we haven't talked about a whole lot. I don't really have a lot to say about them in, in disrespect, this far removed from the event itself. Like, I don't know, maybe Hikaru Shida would have been a better uh, contender for the women's title than Rio, like in a vacuum. But like I said at the start of the show, I think. Rio versus Nyla Rose makes for a more effective story. I think you would have to you would have had to do something entirely different if you put a Karushita in that spot. Um Chris Jericho versus Adam Page. Like again, I think that match just went on way too long. I think they just tried too much stuff. Uh I loved the way that Adam Page walked into the Judas effect and then sold it like death. Like I think, I think that's what's gonna be what ends up selling this move to fans, because I've seen a lot of people look at it and think it's just an elbow. What is this? Why is that a finisher? Well, I mean, if you watch MMA matches and if you see somebody actually connect with this thing, like it knocks people out right then and there. Like that is a genuinely effective move. So I I really do appreciate that they're protecting this move. And once it hits, like the match is over. It's like the one winged angel in that respect. I like that people are still protecting finishers. I, I, I think there's a, not to get on a soapbox and rant about the good old days because I didn't watch during the good old days. So (laughs) I don't really know what like that is, but I do like the idea that there are moves that if it hits, it's over. Watching Okada hit Rainmaker after Rainmaker is fine. Like there's a story that's there's a storytelling method that's been built up around that. But yeah, I really do appreciate that they're doing their damnedest to make this move look legit. But yeah, that that's really about all I had to say on All Out. Um, what about you, Adam? Was there any like anything else that stuck out to you about this show? Um, I I really liked. Uh... My mind just went blank for a second. Oh, uh, I really liked uh, Kenny Omega versus Pac. Um, I was sad that we weren't going to get uh, Moxley Pac, or I'm sorry, Moxley Omega when he was injured. But um, their match was really good. I think it was well paced. I, I agree with you for the most part. Um, well, I guess real quick, uh, that spot where it looked like, I think it, it looked like that. Uh, uh, Kenny was gonna, I believe it was like a D or, or some other like move that was going to drive uh Pox head into the mat, and instead he did like some crazy like handstand flip 
and landed back on the feet was fucking amazing. And I really like that a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I kind of agree. I felt the same way from the last couple of pay-per-views that to finally get to the main events, it feels knocked down, drag out. You just feel so spent. Um, in some ways, that's a plus AEW. In other ways, it's a detriment. Um, you you want to pace yourselves a little better. I think I said that last uh, pay-per-view review. Um, especially uh, a match like you said, Paige and Jericho. It just it did go on too long. When we hit our like third or fourth, I don't remember what that move is called, but the move where uh, Paige is on the outside and he does a flip and then set up for his uh, clothesline. Ah, uh, yeah, the buckshot lariat. Thank you, the buckshot lariat. When we did that like three or four times, I was like, "Why is this match still happening?" Like, no wrestler should have to possible. Yeah, no wrestler should have to lean on the trademark that heavily uh throughout the course of a match uh trademarks are like one two maybe three times if it's like a wrestlemania-esque event which while all out is great it's not quite to that level Uh, but overall i still had a great time with this show um i'm really looking forward to when AEW goes uh weekly um really curious to see how the tag title tourney ends up uh i hope we see so much more from them and that's pretty much all my thoughts. Yeah, October second, man. It's coming soon, less than a month out. And yeah, I I definitely enjoyed this show as a whole. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to full gear. Like we've already got match set up for that. We're gonna see Mox take on Omega. We're gonna see uh, Cody challenge for for Chris Jericho's heavyweight championship or a world championship, I should say. I don't think there actually is officially a heavyweight. Uh, appellation to that title. But yeah, things are already shaping up to look pretty fun. We've got the tag team championship coming up. We have the women's title match that's going to take place on the first show on TNT. Uh, things are looking pretty dope for AEW over the next month or so. Um, We are going to bring the show to a close here, however. Uh, we do have Clash of Champions coming up this weekend on September 15th, but honestly, <laughs> after all of what we talked about about All Out, I don't want to end the show on a downer, man. <laughs> uh, so this is where we are going to come to a close and say goodbye for the evening. So if you want to find more of what we do, head to fansalkpodcast.com. That's where we have the archive for this show. That's where we have the link to our Discord server. So that's where we talk wrestling with you guys, where you guys can talk and watch wrestling with other wrestling fans. So uh, whether it's for a recording like we're doing right now, or whether it's for uh, All Out like we did a couple weekends ago, whether it's for Clash of Champions uh, this weekend, we will be having a live chat for that. So if you want to watch rest, if you want to watch wrestling with other wrestling fans and talk about it. That's where you can do it, fanstalkpodcast.com. If you consume this show through an app like SoundCloud or you have obtained it from wherever you uh, obtain your podcasts of choice, like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, please leave your feedback. Uh, If you can leave a review, that'd be fantastic. If you can leave likes, stars, thumbs up, thumbs down, what have you, your feedback is important to us. We'd like to know what you think about what we're doing, uh, whether you like it, if there's something you don't want to hear as much of, if there's something you want to hear more of. Uh, just let us know. 
next time we record, we'll probably be talking about Clash of Champions as it's happened in the rear view. Uh, there may be some talk about Full Gear, uh, some other wrestling that will most likely come up. Uh, at some point, I feel like we're going to have to talk about Bailey's heel turn because that actually happened. Uh, but until then, for Adam and everybody in the live chat, my name is Nick, and we'll see you next time here on Fans Talk Pro Wrestling. Good night, y'all.